Well, greetings, Cornerstone Baptist Church here in Orillia and those in Coldwater. Uh, greetings from the High Point Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Uh, we are enjoying your heat wave. It is a nice relief for us. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, it has been wonderful to be here. We actually have been looking, looking forward to coming back to Canada for about five years. We were at NBC five years ago, really enjoyed it. Uh, we're looking at coming back, but then something called COVID happened, and uh, it just kind of threw everything off. And, uh, and then it was hard for Americans to get into Canada uh, for a little bit of time. And so thank you for allowing us in uh, this time around. Um, we're looking forward to, to being back. It's funny, our, our youngest is 20, the next one is 22, our oldest is 32. But uh, it's fun to have a grown adult kids who are texting us constantly, when are you coming home? <laughs> and so you can pray for us as we, as we leave here, Lord willing, we'll get home tonight, do a load of laundry, then get up early in the morning and drive from Austin to, uh, to Florida for our family vacation. So I think that's really why they want us to come home. They want to go to the beach where it's 100 degrees. <clears throat> so we will miss it here. Uh, it is a joy to be here with you. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible there around you, uh, around your seat. Uh, I'm looking at page 979. That's where, uh, that's where I'll be reading from, verses 10 through 18. And uh, once you find that, if you would look up here to me and I'll know that you found it. And then I'll read for us, and then I'll pray once more. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. This is the word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. This is the Word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, not on our own merit, and Father, I confess before you and before your people my need and my weakness. I confess my need of you and your spirit to be able to open your word and to communicate with your people. And so, Father, with Moses, I cry out, be with my mouth. Be with our ears. Holy Spirit, show us Christ from the pages of Scripture and strengthen us in faith. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I am a reader. I'm, I'm having to learn to read fiction and 
one of the things that I read was the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, it's not my wife's favorite genre. Um, and so I, I watched the movies and I read the books. And I was really impressed with how well Peter Jackson was able to condense that. I think in part is that Tolkien just explains in such great detail scenes um, that it actually is quite helpful to put it in a movie. In The Return of the King, if you remember, as Frodo and Sam are going to take the ring to Mordor, the king-to-be, that is Aragorn, has to provide a distraction. He's let go of the remaining armies, and so it's just a small army left. The armies of Rohan are with him, and they're going to basically go to their deaths in order to provide a distraction for Sam and Frodo to take the ring to Mount Mordor and to destroy the ring. I love those speeches in those epic movies where, where the captain or the king just rouses the troops. And this is what he says to them. Sons of Gondor, of Rohan, my brothers, I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship, but it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields, when the age of men comes crashing down, but it is not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West. And then they just run to their deaths. And of course, they're delivered. They're delivered because the ring is destroyed before they actually meet their deaths. It's an amazing scene when you think about it. They're prepared for battle, and the king rouses them to courage. You know, the Christian life is like that. The Christian life is war. And Paul, like a good general, like a good captain, here in Ephesians 6, is rousing the armies. He is rousing the armies of the Lord. He is, he is rousing you and me to fight to the death in faith, to stand firm and to maintain our ground. This is what's actually happening here at the end of this letter. The Christian life is a war. And in the face of war and the threat of death, what do you think that we need to hear? We need to hear what Paul is saying here. We need courage and strength. Be strong and courageous. We need someone to remind us to stand firm against the schemes of the evil one. We need someone to help us to not give up any ground. We need someone to remind us this fight is worth it, even if it kills us, even if we go to our deaths. And here at the end of the letter, this is exactly what Paul is doing. And how, how may we fight well against the devil and his schemes? I want us to walk through Ephesians six ten through 18. I just have four points here for us, really three points. Uh, number one is be strong, if you're taking notes. Number two is suit up. And number three is stand firm. Be strong, suit up. Stand firm. You see, if we're to stand against the devil, then we must find our strength in the Lord, put on his armor, and pray. The first thing that Paul says here is be strong. Look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This should be an encouragement to us. 
We have to understand that the Christian life is hard. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because I chose you out of the world, therefore, the world hates you. If you're here this morning and you're a new Christian, this may be a shock to you, but the world hates you. And the reason the world hates you is because the world hates Jesus. Because Jesus came into this world to expose sin. Now we have to be very careful as we articulate that, and I'll show you that in just a moment. But the reality is, as Peter says to the Christians in Asia Minor, we should not be surprised by suffering. As if it's some strange thing for us. One of the concerns that I have for American Christians is this idea that somehow suffering is surprising. That we're not supposed to suffer. We're supposed to have certain freedoms. And granted, in the democratic government that we live under, we have certain freedoms and rights and protections. But no Christian throughout the history of the world has ever been guaranteed comfort, safety, and peace. We are guaranteed trouble. It is appointed for man to believe, but also to suffer, Paul says, to the Philippians. And in the sense that we suffer, Paul reminds us, be strong. What's interesting about this command, and it is a command, how do you be strong? It is a command in the passive voice. Literally, it's be strengthened. And if it's in the passive voice, that means the strength doesn't come from us. In fact, Paul tells us here, doesn't he? Be strengthened in the strength of the Lord. That's good news. We're not to be strong in our strength. Look, if we're strong in our strength and we go against the enemy, it's futile. It is disastrous and it leads to defeat. It is exhausting in our own strength. This same phrase, in the strength of his might, happens in chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, where Paul is trying to help the Ephesian Christians understand the hope that they have and the power that is at their disposal. The strength of his might is the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Christian, do you know that you have at your disposal the same power that raised Jesus from the dead? And Paul says, be strengthened in that power. Be strengthened in resurrection power. Be strengthened in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life is a war, but we don't fight in our own strength. We fight in the Lord's strength. But how are we to be strengthened in the Lord? It's one thing to to say the command. It's one thing to stand in a line against the enemy. And for Paul to say, be strong, be courageous, be strengthened in the Lord's might. Well, how, Paul? How do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Because that's where Paul goes next. And this is the second point. Suit up. Suit up. We are strengthened in the strength of the Lord by actually putting on the armor of God. This is what Paul is getting us to do here in verses 11 through 13. Notice what he says in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Again, this is a command. We're to put on. We are strengthened in the Lord by putting on his armor This will become more evident in verse 14 as we go on. And once again, we don't suit up in our armor. We don't suit up in someone else's armor. You remember 
when Saul told David to put on his armor and, and David said, this is a little big. This, this doesn't really fit. This is not going to give me the motions that I need. But we do that sometimes, don't we? Sometimes as Christians in this world, we seek strength in something else. I've been reading in my daily Bible reading through Kings, First and Second Kings. And it's interesting how often the kings of Israel are rebuked by God because rather than turning to God, they turn to other nations. They would take gold out of the treasury and pay tribute to other kings. I love what the psalm says. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. I think that's Psalm 20, verse 7. And the reality is, friends, if we're not careful, we can trust in other armor. We can trust in government. We can trust in groups. We can trust in other things rather than in the Lord Jesus Christ. In order for us to put on the strength of the Lord, we have to put on his armor, God's armor. And this is what Paul is trying to help us to understand. This is the armor of God that he gives to his Messiah in Isaiah 59 to rescue his people and to save his people and to judge his enemies. This language of the armor of God comes from the Old Testament where God promises to give his Messiah, his anointed king, his armor to defeat the enemies of God's people, to rescue them and to defeat the enemies. This is the armor that we're to put on, God's armor. And why do we need to put on God's armor? The very purpose is right there in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that, there's a purpose statement, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This is why we must put on the armor of God. The purpose for which is so that we would be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, listen for that word stand as we go through because it becomes an important word. In fact, I would argue this is the main emphasis of this text is standing firm. We put on the armor of God because that's where we get our strength and that's, the, that's the, the means by which we stand against the enemy. Note, it's important to identify our enemy. Look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If you're going to go to war you better know your enemy. Because if you don't know your enemy, you might die by friendly fire or kill friendlies. And the reality is, as if Paul reminds us, look, we're not battling against people. Our battle is not against human beings. It is not against flesh and blood. It is against the cosmic powers, the demonic realm Paul speaks of this in chapter 1, and the good news, as he reminds us, is that God has exalted Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords over all powers and over all names, including the demonic realm. But that's our enemy. Now, the enemy uses all kinds of means and all kinds of resources against us, but one of the things that we have to understand is that the people out there are our mission field. And they're hostile to Christians because they don't know Christ. 
And the world does hate us because we're not of the world. But listen, Jesus has left us in the world that we might proclaim his good news that those who presently do not worship Jesus might become worshipers of Jesus Christ. And so this is a real tension that we have to wrestle with, understanding that there are people out there that are against us, but they're in fact not our enemy. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. They're being deceived by the evil one. They have been blinded by Satan, who is an angel of light. And we're to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they might have their eyes open and repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved light. The purpose of putting on the armor is that we would be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And Satan has a force working for him, and he has strategy and methods. Listen to how one commentator puts it. Quote, The evil one works through the events of history, including a visit hindered by him, 1 Thessalonians 2. The circumstances surrounding Job's life, if you remember the story of Job in Job 1 and 2. The casting of believers into prison, Revelation 2.10. The inherent distress of life, Romans 8.38. The illness which is occasionally due to their demonic activity, Matthew 9, Matthew 12, Luke 9. While Christian teachers and their instruction is the subject of attack and distortion by principalities and powers, 2 Corinthians 11. Heresy is assigned to demonic activity, 1 Timothy 4.1, 1 John 4.1. Social, political, judicial, and economic structures can be used by Satan and his evil authorities to serve their malevolent ends. The last and greatest enemy to which humanity is exposed by Satan and his lieutenants is death. Death is an enemy. It steals from our ranks those whom we love. That's why it hurts and that's why we grieve. But we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Read Revelation. Revelation is a letter meant to strengthen the church in the midst of horrible persecution. And in Revelation, John reminds us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit how Satan uses governments, the beasts. How Satan uses false religion, the false prophets. How Satan uses corrupt culture, the prostitute, the city, Babylon. And so Satan is at work behind all those things. But listen, it's not just that hostility against us that we feel from governments and false religion and even corrupt culture, but it's the deceptions that he throws at us that lead us away from the Lord and towards sin. I don't know about you. I am tired of sinning. Aren't you tired of fighting the same sins over and over and over again? Aren't you tired of believing the lies of the enemy that cause strife and conflict in your home? Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of all the lies of the evil one in our culture? This is all demonic activity, and we need to understand it as such. And this is the battle that we face. Satan is confusing people about their gender. Satan is confusing people about what marriage is and isn't. This is a demonic battle. And the Lord has placed us here 
to stand firm against these schemes, but to be a testimony to this dark world of the truth and the beauty and the light and the glory of our King Jesus. And so we need to know who our enemy is. Satan will use whatever methods are at his disposal to seek, kill, and destroy. So we put on God's armor, and that's how we stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, therefore, because of the enemy, because of his stratagems, because of his schemes, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Did you hear the word stand all those times? And in verse 14, once more. Stand, therefore. I think that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. In in this world where the devil is against us, in a cosmic sense, in a real sense, but also in a personal sense, we're to stand firm. And the picture that I have in my mind is, is standing firm and not giving up any ground. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And that's the third point that I want you to see. Here in verses 14 through 17, stand firm, be strong, suit up, and stand firm. This is why we suit up. There is an emphasis on this standing firm in verse 11, 13, and 14. Notice we're not called to win the fight. The fight has already been won. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take on our humanity. Jesus came as the promised seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15, to crush the serpent's head. And so Jesus crushed the serpent's head by his perfect and obedient life as a human being. And then he went to the cross, and on the cross, by his death, he defeated sin and wickedness and evil and Satan himself. He literally crushed the serpent's head as the serpent was trying to destroy God's plan and trying to end God's salvation, trying to distract Jesus by tempting Jesus himself when he says, I will give you, Jesus, all the kingdoms of this world if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, no, we will worship the Lord God only. Jesus knew that the kingdoms of this world were his, but he had to attain the kingdoms of this world through his suffering and through his death. And so on that cross as Jesus hung, the wrath of God was poured out upon his beloved son in order to pay the penalty for sin because that's what Satan holds against us. He's the accuser of the brethren and he will accuse us. But because Jesus took on our sin, there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no accusation that Satan can bring against the people of God. Jesus died on the cross. He won the victory. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And he defeated Satan. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is the best news that you could hear. You cannot save yourself in your own strength. So be strengthened in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn away from your sins and trust in Christ. He has won the victory. We're not called to win the victory. We're not called to win the battle. We have been given ground and we're called to stand firm because Jesus has already won the victory. So we stand firm in the strength of the Lord, having put on God's armor. Look at verse 14. We stand firm against the devil's schemes by standing on the truth of the gospel. Verse 14, stand firm therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. 
Truth is an important theme through the letter of the Ephesians. We stand firm against the devil's schemes because one of the methods and means that he uses is lies. He is the father of lies, and he seeks to deceive. So we stand firm against the devil, giving him no ground by standing firm on the truth of the gospel. We are armed with the truth by girding ourselves with the truth. Ephesians 1.13. Girding pictures getting ready for something difficult. It means preparing for either an athletic event or preparing ourselves for war. And it is this truth that we're to speak to one another in love. Do you understand how we stand against the schemes of the devil? Just like our first father, Adam. Satan introduced sin into the world through deception and through lies. He distorted God's word. He says, look, God is deceiving you. You really won't die if you eat from this fruit. In fact, God is holding back from you. God doesn't want you to be like him. If you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be just like God. And he doesn't want that for you. And so through deception, sin came into the creation. And sin has been passed on to us because we have inherited Adam's sin Satan's schemes are still the same. He works through deception. And we're constantly believing his lies. That marriage you're in, you know, if you were just with another woman, you'd be much happier. You know what? If you had a better husband, you'd be more secure. You know what? If your parents were different, you would be much happier child. And we constantly believe the lies of the enemy as he seeks to lead us away from God and lead us away from truth and lead us into deception. And the way that we fight the enemy is by girding ourselves with truth, equipping ourselves with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what discipleship is. Discipleship is that when one of our brothers or sisters is weak, we speak truth to that brother or sister in love. And we try to help them understand the reality so that they won't believe the lies of the enemy. This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. This is how we learn Christ, the truth that is in Jesus, Paul says in, in Ephesians 4, 21. We learn the Lord Jesus Christ by Believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this gospel of Jesus Christ does not lead us into sin and deception and unrighteousness. We are to speak this truth to one another instead of speaking falsehoods. Ephesians 4.25 Truth is one fruit of walking in light. Ephesians 5.9 We as Christians are to be marked by truth and one of the ways that we stand firm against the evil one is by girding ourselves with the truth because Satan through his schemes will attack us with his lies so did you know that Bible reading and personal devotions is wartime activity did you know that your regular Bible reading your personal devotions your study of God's word, you're arming yourself for the battle. Did you know that Bible study is wartime activity? When you get together with other Christians, did you know that, that you're preparing for war? It is actually wartime 
activity. Speaking the truth in love to one another. Discipleship is wartime activity. What we're doing right now with the church of Jesus Christ, hearing the word preached, is wartime activity. The public reading of Scripture is wartime activity. You've been out this week listening to all the lies of the enemy through, through media and through the culture and through all those things, and we come and we gather together, and in our singing, we are singing truth to one another as we sing uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Did, did you know that when we sing, we're not just singing to the Lord, but we're actually singing to one another, and we're singing the truths of the gospel. We're singing doctrine. We're singing truths to one another, reminding one another. So when someone who is dying of stage four cancer is is fighting to believe that his life is still worth it, and we sing together, it is well with my soul. We're encouraging that brother. We're exhorting that brother to endure in faith We are fighting the schemes of the devil and his lies. But our battle is not just about knowing truth. It's not just about head knowledge. Our battle is also about living it out. And so we stand firm against the devil's schemes by walking in righteousness. Again, verse 14. Stand firm, therefore, having fasted on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. A breastplate covers the heart. It it protects our heart. In Christ, we are a new creation, being created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, Ephesians 4.25. If we are genuinely born again, it will be evident in the fact that we love the commands of Jesus and we walk in righteousness. We love what is right and good and true. And we grow in righteousness and holiness as we put off the old self, who we were in Adam, and put on the new self, who we are in Christ. We stand firm against the schemes of the devil when we pursue righteousness in the Lord's strength. So empowered with the knowledge of truth, we walk in righteousness. Did you know that pursuing holiness is wartime activity? Pursuing righteousness and pursuing holiness How are you doing in pursuing Christ and pursuing holiness? How are you helping your brothers and sisters in Christ to pursue holiness? This is wartime activity. But look at verse 15. We also stand firm against the devil's schemes by proclaiming the gospel. Verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Satan seeks to blind unbelievers. And he disguises himself as an angel of light. But Jesus promised that he will build his church on the foundation of the gospel. The confession of Peter that he is, that Jesus is the Christ. This idea comes from Isaiah chapter 52. You're familiar with this passage. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This is exactly what we see Jesus doing in Ephesians 2.17. He preached peace to those who were far off, Gentiles, and he preached peace to his own people, the Jews. This gospel of peace, 
that because of sin, we are enemies of God. All of us are enemies of God. But in Christ, we have been reconciled to God. God has made his enemies his friends through the blood of his son. And now it is our mission to proclaim this good news to all people everywhere so that they might have an opportunity to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We stand firm against the devil and his schemes when we share the gospel in the strength of the Lord. This is why we share the gospel with unbelievers. This is why we want to make sure we share the gospel in every sermon. This is why we send out missionaries out to the mission field. This is why we lead our churches to connect with faithful gospel partners throughout the world. Because this is the mission of the church, to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know that evangelism and missions are wartime activities? We're at war against the enemy and his schemes. And we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But look at verse 16. We also stand firm against the devil's schemes by protecting ourselves with faith. Verse 16, in all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The fight against the devil and sin is a fight of faith. It is a fight to believe the truth that God has revealed to us in his son versus what Satan is trying to deceive us to do. You see, we were created for joy. We were created for satisfaction. And Satan is always offering competing joys to the joys that God offers to us. It's the same thing that happened in the garden. It's the same thing that happens to us every day. Satan is lying, offering competing joys and satisfaction. And we believe, we must believe the truth of God by faith. We were saved by grace through faith, not our own works. Ephesians 1.13, Ephesians 2.8. And through faith in Christ, we have both access to the Father, Ephesians 3.12. And Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, Ephesians 3.17. You see, when we believe in Jesus, his word, his promises, his warnings, the devil's arrows will have no effect. When he tries to tempt us with competing joys to what God offers, we won't take the bait We stand firm against the devil and his schemes when we believe Christ and his gospel. But look again in verse 17. We also stand firm against the devil's schemes by remembering our salvation. Again, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet covers the head. This kind of points to our thinking. We have to have right thinking about who we are in Christ. And it's no surprise that Paul begins Ephesians with the reality of our union with Christ and all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. He's reminding us of the salvation that we have. Satan will tempt us to doubt and despair over our salvation. He'll try to undermine our assurance. Satan is a deceiver. He'll lie. He'll offer you a competing promise. And when you take the bait, he turns against you and he accuses you. And then he says, why would God want anything to do with you? Look at what you've done. Or maybe he keeps bringing your past back up to you. Do you really think God could forgive everything that you've ever done? God knows who you are. God knows what you've done. 
and we put on the helmet of salvation and we remember the truth of the gospel. We remember what God has done for us in Christ. We look at all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ pointed out in chapter 1. The promises that we have now already. Election, justification, forgiveness, adoption. God chose us before the foundation of the world. Listen, God knows everything about you. Even the things you're trying to hide right now. And he still loves you. God knows everything about you, about your past. He knows everything that you will do. And he still chose you to save you. And he is now at work to conform you to the image of his son. One of the beautiful images of salvation is in Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus came from heaven to earth to pursue the bride that didn't love him. And Jesus came to win her love. And what Jesus is doing is he doesn't choose a perfect bride. Jesus chooses the bride that didn't love him, that was pursuing other lovers. And Jesus has caused his love to win us and to draw us to himself. Do you know what Jesus is doing now in all our lives? Those of us who are in Christ, he is cleansing us by his word. He is washing us in his love And he is preparing us so that on that wedding day, we will be able to wear that white wedding dress. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. This is this beautiful forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ. But there are promises not yet realized, our future inheritance that awaits us. Because we are justified, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because we are forgiven, there is no guilt for the sins that we have confessed. And because we are adopted, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Friends, do you understand that? Because God loved you, nothing can separate you from the love that God has for you and his son. God loves us like he loves his son. And that is a glorious promise and a tremendous affirmation. We stand firm when we believe the truth about Jesus and the salvation he has won for us. We also stand firm against the devil's schemes as we use scripture against him. There in verse 17 again. And the sword of the spirit. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is only, the only offensive weapon in the arsenal here. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, the truth, the gospel. The Word of God is made active by the Spirit. We battle against Satan and his schemes, standing firm on this Word, just like Jesus did. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, how did Jesus respond? He quoted Scripture back to him. This is how we battle against the enemy. This is why it's important to memorize Scripture. Scripture memory is wartime activity. We memorize Scripture so when Satan tempts us or when he tries to deceive us, we know the truth and we give it back to him. We speak the truth back so that we will fight against his schemes. Parents, did you know that being with your children at home Teaching them scripture truths and scripture songs and scripture memory is wartime activity. Do not think that you're not doing a great work just because you're at home with your children. That is important work. 
It is vital work, and it is wartime work. As you are preparing those little hearts and minds, and you're instructing those little hearts and minds with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're building in them a framework of doctrine and a framework of truth. You are preparing your children and equipping your children to go out into the world. Parenting, discipleship at home is wartime activity. Finally, verse 18, we stand firm against the devil's schemes as we pray. Look at verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Notice what Paul says. The, the all here becomes important. Praying at all times. This means in every circumstance and in every situation, praying all the time in the Spirit, in the strength of the Spirit, relying on the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. In other words, we pray all kinds of prayers, not just one kind of prayer, but all kinds of prayer. We can pray arrow prayers. That's what I call the prayer that Nehemiah prayed when he was about to go before the king. And he was a little surprised, and he's like, oh, okay, Lord, here we go. I need you right now. There's some times where we just need to shoot a quick arrow up to the Lord. We're right in the midst of the moment, perhaps facing a temptation, and we just pray a quick prayer. Lord, please help me right now. There are times where we spend an hour in prayer or hours in prayer. Moms and dads, we will spend a lifetime in prayer for our children, for their souls, for their discipleship, for their growth in Christ. We will pray for the church, for the unity of the church, for the bond of the Spirit. We will pray for the health of one another. We'll pray all kinds of prayer, bring all kinds of supplications to the Lord. And I don't believe that prayer is a part of the armor. I believe that prayer undergirds it all. We do everything in prayer and in the power of the Spirit. In Ephesians 1, 13 through 23, the God, Paul prayed that God would reveal the truth of their salvation so that they would know the gospel. This is the helmet of salvation, that they would know the gospel. In chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, which we read here this morning, Paul prayed that the Ephesian would experience the truth of the gospel so that they would be empowered to live in a manner worthy of the call. Did you know that prayer is wartime activity? And I think it's helpful to understand that. I appreciate how John Piper distinguishes between wartime prayer and peacetime prayer. He says sometimes Christians use prayer kind of as the intercom in the house that calls the butler and says, hey, could you please turn up the heat because it's a little cold in here? Or, hey, could you please bring me some water or some food? Rather than understanding prayer is that walkie time, that, that wartime walkie talkie, Lord, we need some air support right here and we need you to land your missiles right now. Prayer is that wartime activity when we're crying out to the Lord. We stand firm against the devil and his schemes. When we stand firm on the gospel in the strength of the Lord, we put on his whole armor and we pray. To put on the armor of God is another way of saying to put on Christ. This is how Paul says it in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 13. Go there this afternoon. That's your homework. Romans 13, 11 through 13, and read it. And notice how Paul uses very similar language, but then he repeats it by just saying, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's what we're to do. 
We're no longer that person that we were in Adam. We're now in Christ. So put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has won the victory. We stand firm in his strength to display his wisdom in unity and holiness. Satan seeks to stop us. He seeks to deceive us. And we make war with him, against him, by putting off the old and putting on Christ. This is how we learn Christ, and this is how we stand firm in his truth. Friends, when you think of spiritual warfare, don't think of horror movies, the Pope's exorcist or exorcism or whatever it is. Don't think of Frank Peretti novels. What I want you to think about is this. Just think of the thousands of daily firefights that we face against the enemy as we take the thousands of daily steps of faithfulness and face thousands of daily decisions to believe the truth of the gospel, to walk by faith, and to do what he calls us to do. That's, that's true spiritual warfare. Jesus has already defeated the enemy, and he's already defeated his powers, and he rules over them. But still, with his last gasps, Satan is trying to destroy us. He's trying to pick us off one by one. We stand firm against him in the strength of the Lord, putting on his armor, suiting up, and depending upon him in prayer. This, this is a Christian life. This is the Christian life. So let us not be too complacent, but let us do battle against the devil. So, cornerstone, those of you in cold water, be strong. Suit up and stand firm. Give up no ground to the enemy. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your faithfulness to us in Christ. Father, help us to stand firm against the schemes of the evil one when he would confuse us and even turn us against one another. Father, help us to bask in this glorious gospel. Remind us that the victory's already been won and we have the same power available to us that raised Jesus from the dead. So we will be strong in the Lord's strength. We will suit up in God's armor, and we will stand firm against the evil one. Help us now, O God, in Jesus' name, amen.